Good evening, and welcome to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program, sponsored by Heritage Baptist Church in New York City, a church that is committed to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ in an atmosphere of love. Please join us this hour as Pastor Matthew Recker opens the Word of God and then brings others, including you, into the conversation. Tonight, we'll seek to have a dialogue that will glorify God and will show how the Bible is relevant to everyday life. Our desire is to lead people to salvation in Christ and encourage believers in their spiritual growth. Join us and build up your own Heritage of Faith. Welcome to another episode of the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program with our host, Pastor Matthew Recker. We are coming to you live this evening from downtown Manhattan as we continue in our study through the Book of Romans. My name is Micah, and I'm the Ministry Assistant at Heritage, and I want to give a shout-out to one of our faithful listeners named Raymond, who also joins us for prayer meeting on Wednesday nights. Hey, Raymond. Uh, Tonight, as always, if you want to join our conversation or if you would like prayer, you can give us a call at 929-333-3739. Pastor Matt, question for you this evening. How important is flexibility in ministry? Great question, Micah. Well, we have to be very flexible in life, really, because you never (laughs) know what's going to happen, what's going to break, and what just isn't going to work out the way that you thought. But we're going on a missions trip to Brazil next week, and that's one thing I find myself often telling the team (laughs) as we go down there, because ministering in another culture and doing the things that we're going to be doing, we're not exactly sure how everything's going to work out. Right. So you, flexibility yeah. really just means be ready. Yeah, yeah. And you know who was ready tonight for us? Emmanuel, because <laughs> our regularly scheduled panelists got a little ill. So Raul and Wanda, I hope and pray that you're mending up, and we're sorry that you're not here. But we're happy to have one of our favorite panelists, Brother Emmanuel, uh, uh, and, and also leading a new ministry in our church, really, that the Lord has been blessing, our young people's ministry. So, Emmanuel, thanks for being here tonight. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and on a short notice, huh? <laughs> you, you cram. You cram for <laughs> this passage of Scripture tonight, because this is a great passage that we're going to look at tonight in Romans chapter 7, our life of liberty from the law. We are free from the law. That doesn't mean the law is dead, but somebody died to free us from this law. Mm. So we will see. Now, the word law is used 23 times in this passage of Romans. And so we're going to look at the great honor that God gives to his law in the New Testament and our relationship. It's very important Mm -hmm. that we as New Testament Christians understand our relationship to the Old Testament law. Mm -hmm. So that's what we'll see tonight, and we'll read this passage. And Emmanuel, if you could start us out this evening as we read Romans chapter 7, verses 1 through 13. Yep, Romans chapter 7. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law had dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a, a husband is bound by the law to her husband, so long as she live, as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So if then, while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband is dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, you also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you be married to another, even to him 
who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we were held, that we should serve in newness of spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, had not had I not known sin, but by the law, for I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence, for without the law sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin, that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin, by the commandment, might become exceeding sinful. <laughs> so let's pray that we can do our best to understand these inspired words of God. Mm -hmm. Father, thank you for your word. And thy word is truth. And we thank you that for your law, which is perfect. And as your word even says in the Old Testament, that, that your testimony in the law is sure, making wise the simple. And your statutes are right, rejoicing the heart. And your commandment is pure, enlightening the eyes. And so, Lord, give us wisdom as well tonight as we look into these words of Paul mm -hmm. in Romans chapter 7 that speaks to us of our liberty and freedom and deliverance from the law because now we're in Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Paul gives great honor to the law. Mm -hmm. Is the law sin? God forbid. The law is holy. The commandment is holy and just and good. And he even says that the law was then that which is good made death unto me. No, the problem was, is never the law. The yeah. problem is us mm -hmm. and our sin. But the fact is, we as New Testament believers are delivered from the Mosaic law. And when I say that, I do not divide the law. You cannot divide the law into compartments or parts Although we might say there were ceremonial laws, mm -hmm. there were civil laws, there were moral laws. But when the New Testament speaks of the law, he speaks of an indivisible unit. Mm. And so when Paul is speaking about the law here, he's, he's even speaking of the moral commandments because he references one of the moral commandments. Yeah, do not covet. Yeah, yeah, not to covet, which is one of the Ten Commandments that we are delivered from. So this is so amazing. But... We, we, as we begin our program tonight, I thought a good way to begin, though, was just to talk about the wonder and the, the beauty of God's law. And there are so many great verses from mm -hmm. the Old Testament that speak of the greatness yeah. of God's law. So what are some verses, uh, Micah, from God's Old Testament law 
that you see as so beautiful? Yeah. Uh, well, I, you know, when I think about the greatness of God's law, I can't narrow it down to just one verse, Pastor, but I can narrow it down to one chapter. No, it happens yeah. to be the longest chapter in the whole Bible. It's Psalm 119, and it's a psalm of praise written to God, thanking him for giving humanity his commandments. And, you know, the psalmist, he uses eight separate words to describe God's law, and then he compares the law to the good things of this world, saying God's precepts are even better. So, for instance, Psalm 119, 127 says, Therefore I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. Verse 103 says, How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And just one more, I'll read verse 105 is one, many of us know thy word is a lamp unto my feet and thy light and a light unto my path. You know, the psalmist, he goes on to speak about God's law over the course of 176 verses, describing them as his delight. So in the end, he really is begging the question, do we love and value God's law that much? Because we should. Absolutely. And and Psalm 119 is it? Maybe we should. That would be challenging to do a series in Psalm 119 in each of those sections on our radio (laughs) program one time. But, you know, when you think about the Psalms, the book of Psalms begins foundationally, which is a song, a hymn book of praise to God. That's Mm -hmm. what Psalms is, a hymn book of praise. Mm -hmm. It begins foundationally with that the, the, the law of God is my meditation day and night. Mm. And that's, that brings me happiness. Yeah. And so the law is good and it's holy and it's just. What is a verse from the law, Emmanuel, that you find greatness in? Yeah, for me, uh, I, I love Joshua and his story and how the Bible has documented that. Mm. And especially I love in Joshua chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, where God encourages Joshua. Now, Moses has just died, and he has the task mm. of leading all of Israel into the promised land. Mm. And that anyone would be scared in that position. Yeah. But, but God just encourages him and tells him, be strong, obey the law, do not move from it l- to the right or to the left. Meditate on it day and night, mm-hmm. and it will make you prosperous, and it will bring you success. And as long as Israel followed the law, that is what happened. That's right. They were they were blessed when they kept the law. When they did not keep the law, they were judged. Simple really as that. But also what's amazing to me about this passage in Joshua is the law had just been written. Moses had just written it, and now God himself is telling Joshua that that law of God is the word of God, mm-hmm. and it's fully authoritative. Yeah. So that's the thing about Scripture. As soon as it's written... It's the inspired, authoritative, inerrant Word of God. And so very early on, if you will, the Scripture had final authority mm-hmm. and also the secret of, of, of prosperity and success. Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Yeah. Amen. So the law of God, dear friends, and is, is, is great. It's good. And yet we're delivered from it. And aren't we glad mm-hmm. we're delivered from it? Yeah. Because as I said, you cannot divide the law between the ceremonial, the civil, and the moral commands. If you're if you put you you either put yourself under all of it or none of it, mm-hmm. really. And if if you put yourself under the law, then you have to keep those ceremonial commands. Yeah. And they're not even possible it's, to yeah, be impossible. kept mm-hmm. today. So let's let's look into Romans chapter seven. But actually before we get there Let's just talk about, in a sense, 
potential dangers in our view of the law because there are some extremes Mm -hmm. that people could fall into and that could lead to dangers in our Christian life. And the two dangers really are either license or legalism. In other words, if one says, as, as I say here tonight, we're not under the law, somebody will say, oh, you, you think you could just practice license to mm. do as you please? Mm-hmm. On, the, on the other hand, those who put themselves under the law, they could become legalists. Mm-hmm. So these are the two extremes that could prevent true, fruitful Christian living. So, Micah, let's talk about this this idea of license and what do we mean by license and how is that a danger for those of us who say we're not Mm. under the law? Yeah, you know, I want to talk about this, but let me just go back to something you said just a minute ago where you said, you know, it's not even possible to follow the traditional ceremonial laws. And we kind of said it really quickly and somebody might be like, well, what do they mean it's not even possible? Well, there's no temple, so you can't do any of the sacrifices. So that's first and foremost it would be impossible to fully follow the law. Okay, now back to license. You know, on a very basic level, having a license means you you have official permission to do something. So I have a driver's license, and I had official permission to drive down to our studio this evening. WMCA has an operating license, so the station is officially permitted to broadcast our radio program over the airwaves. And so the question of license in regards to Romans chapter 7 is, If we are no longer bound by the law of Moses, then do we have official permission to live in a way that breaks all of the moral commandments contained in the law? You know, another way of asking, as Christians, do we have license to sin? Now, that sounds like a silly question, but since the beginning of the church age, there are some who think the answer is yes. One perfect example is the Corinthian church who were tolerating all kinds of immorality and needed major correcting. So on the one hand, it's true that we have liberty in Christ and have been delivered from the Mosaic law. But on the other hand, we are now under a higher law. And last week we mentioned that we have exchanged masters. Maybe this week we can say that we have exchanged laws. We've exchanged the Mosaic law for God's higher law. That's right. And Dear listener, if you want to call and add to our conversation, or if you need to call and ask for prayer or some kind of spiritual encouragement, our phone lines are open at 929-333-3739. And also, Micah, that we're not under the Mosaic laws. You well illustrated this idea and word license, we're under a higher law. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that in Romans chapter 8, where Paul says that the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus had set me free Mm. from the law of sin and death. So just because we're not under the Mosaic law doesn't mean we're not under a law. We're under a greater law, the law of the spirit Mm -hmm. of life, that Jesus Christ has kept the law, Mm. and now we are to live holy as he lived. He's our example, Mm -hmm. (laughs) not just the law, but, but, but Jesus Christ himself. And... The other extreme here, Emmanuel, would be legalism. And so what do we mean by legalism, and how is this a danger to those who say we're under certain aspects of the law? Because I'm sure there are some listeners, even maybe Seventh-day Adventists, who do practice the law and believe that we need to keep elements of the law, like the Sabbath day and dietary commands. Yes. So what do we mean by legalism? And how is this a danger to those who say 
we're still under aspects of the Mosaic Law. Yeah, so legalism is the opposite end of what license is. And just to put a definition out there, legalism exists when people attempt to secure the righteousness in God's sight by good works. So legalists would believe that they can earn or merit approval, God's approval, by performing A, B, or C kind of work. Mm -hmm. So so it kind of says that you can earn salvation, but that is not true. We can only be saved by trusting in Jesus Christ and 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 in his good work mm-hmm. not ours mm-hmm. so m- legalists make certain do's and don'ts the standard of spirituality mm. they they kind of keep the letter of the law but they forget the spirit of the law mm-hmm. and and this this comes out in a lot of ways and you you said rightly like seven day adventists would say you need to keep the sabbath you need to eat this you can't eat that that is one form of legalism. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of the listeners have been in churches where they say if you have a beard or you uh, put lipstick, that's that's not right. You're not saved. Mm-hmm. Or if you don't attend Sunday every Sunday and you uh, do X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. if you don't do it, you're not saved. So they, they kind of make that the standard of being saved. Mm-hmm. Another example of legalists are the Pharisees in the Bible mm-hmm. where uh, where God, God said that, um, you you kind of are keeping the law, but you're forgetting God who gave the law and what he meant when he gave it to you. Mm-hmm. So uh, so that is kind of what legalism is. But what are its fruits? When, when mm. legalism is involved, it, it causes a lot of divisiveness, jealousy. You kind of strive to work and, and it, it takes away your peace. And the most grievous thing is it gives rise to pride. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I will say this, that Seventh-day Adventists are very good at confusing untaught evangelicals that we're still under the Sabbath command. And I know there's different, there's different levels of Seventh-day Adventists, and not all of them believe the exact same thing. But I have seen written material put, published by some Adventists that those who worship on Sunday will get the mark of the beast. In other words, you're not saved if you worship in a church on the first day of the week. Now, that is the essence of legalism, making salvation the very uh, base based upon my my work. Yeah. And and so legalism can be very critical and judgmental. And I'm not to say that Baptists sometimes can't be legalistic as well <laughs> with certain standards mm-hmm. yes. that are elevated. And if somebody elevates a standard to a level that if you don't do this, you're not spiritual, Yes, that's also legalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it, it seems to me like it is a form of putting a yoke on people that God himself doesn't want them to have. Mm-hmm. So it, it's a burden we don't need to carry. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Our phone number is 929-333-3739. And let me just also back up to another point about the law and that while we are free from the law of Moses, we're under this higher law of the Spirit. And it's this, and this is really an important point, is that Old Testament law was a revelation of the unchanging moral character of God. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament law was a revelation of the holiness of God and the righteousness of God. Mm -hmm. And God's holiness and righteousness doesn't change. He didn't change from the Old into the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So those commands 
that are in the Old Testament transcend Old Testament law and are carried over into the New Testament in in specific statements that mm-hmm. we should not lie, we should not steal. Yeah. So some of these Old Testament commands are clearly in the New Testament yeah. and transcend the covenants, right. but not all of them. Right. And the point we are making tonight, though, is that we are not under any part of the Mosaic law, but that doesn't mean we're lawless. Hmm. So let's now go into this passage in Romans chapter 7. And Paul writes about our freedom from the law, and he uses an amazing illustration about death and marriage to show that death and marriage dramatically change relationships. Mm -hmm. So Paul's point here is that the law over a man only has dominion as long as the man is living, Mm -hmm. verse 1. He says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law. The law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. So even a criminal, once he is dead, cannot be punished for the worst of crimes. And so Lee Harvey Oswald, Mm -hmm. who assassinated President John F. Kennedy, could not be prosecuted for his crimes when Mm -hmm. he died. So then in verse 2 he says that the woman which has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives. Now that's the a general principle. Paul's point here is not to prove that there's there are no grounds for divorce at any time. He's just saying that marriage illustrates how death ends the marriage relationship. Mm-hmm. And if the husband is dead, she is loosed from that law of marriage. So then now in verses 3 and 4, Micah, Paul uses like a surprising twist Mm -hmm. to this illustration. But maybe you want to make a comment as well about verses 1 and 2. Well, I was just going to say that, um, you know, Paul, he was addressing those in the Roman church who needed clarification on their relationship to the law. You know, perhaps some of them wanted to go back to the law, back to their human traditions. It sure would have made things easier for them, you know, in the short term probably amongst our Jewish community. So Paul was explaining that it was impossible to be both a Christian and under the law, saying death had removed the legal binding of the law, just like a death in marriage removes the legal binding of that marriage. Um, There was actually a question on Jeopardy this week about Frank E. Butler, the man who was married to the famous sharpshooter Annie Oakley. And it turns out that when Annie Oakley died, Fred was so distraught that he literally stopped eating and died of starvation less than three weeks later. So that's a really sad story, but it reminded me of those who walk away from the freedom of Christianity going back toward their old religions of rules and regulations. You know, these people can't survive. They think they can't survive without the laws and traditions of man. But ultimately, if they walk away from Christ, then that exposes where their allegiance was the whole time. Yeah, I mean, and I think we should have some sympathy, too, for Jewish people who have lived, even Jewish people today, who, let's say, have lived their whole lives under the law. We say, Mm -hmm. oh, no, believe in Jesus Christ. And how traumatic it would be for a Jewish person all of a sudden to not worship God on on the Sabbath, Mm -hmm. on the seventh day, or... Mm -hmm or feel that it's absolutely a moral necessity to circumcise a male baby or something like Mm -hmm. that. And Mm -hmm. these were the things, even in the New Testament, that were traumatic for Jewish people in the first 
century. Right. And and so the books of Galatians and and this <laughs> passage do do deal with those sudden changes. And Hebrews, yeah, I mean the the New Testament, so much of it, especially Paul's letters. Um, are devoted to explaining this yeah. because it wasn't an easy question for them. But but this passage, you know, and you think about marriage and death. Marriage and death change our relationships. Mm-hmm. Like when I married my wife, I walked into that church that day, yeah. and she wasn't mine. Mm-hmm. I had no right to take her mm-hmm. physically mm-hmm. and have intimacy with her because mm-hmm. I wasn't married to her. But then once I went into that church and said I do, yeah. now she was mine. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was like what was sin in one moment is not sin now any yeah. longer. Mm-hmm. It's kind of tra- a traumatic, like... Uh, a big change. Yeah, yeah. it's a yeah, big huge. change. So that's Paul's point here about death and about marriage mm-hmm. and how... Death sets us free from the laws of men. So then, in verses 3 through 4, Micah, Paul does use a surprising twist in this illustration because mm-hmm. he's, talking about, he's talking about a woman who's married to a husband as long as the husband lives. And we think in the illustration, we're going yeah. to end up in the illustration alive. We're going to be the living <laughs> w- woman somehow in the illustration. But what's the twist that yeah. Paul gives? Well, the twist is that in verse 4, we find out that we're actually the ones who die. <laughs> we die to the law because we are now bound and identified with Christ. So Jesus, as, he, as Jesus died, when, he's, when we surrender to him, we become his followers, and we are crucified with him. But in death, then we live because we are raised with Christ to new life. Of course, Galatians 2.20, the very famous verse, it states it so clearly. It says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul's point is that with new life, we are no longer bound to the law, that bond was forever broken when we died with Christ. Yeah, I mean, and that's what he had t- spoken about as well in Romans chapter 6, mm-hmm. in just the chapter before this, mm-hmm. knowing this, that our old man is crucified, crucified with, with him. him. Mm-hmm. And so, dear friends, this is a definitive argument of Paul as he gets into this point that Christ died. And what law was Jesus under when he died. And so likewise, if her husband, if the husband be dead, then the woman is free. But then Paul says, we have become dead. So we are like the dead husband. So having died, we're not under any part Mm -hmm. of the law. We're free from that law. An amazing thing. Isn't this? Mm-hmm. Our phone number is open. It's 929-333-3739. You know, every Sunday we have loving and caring call screeners led by Dr. Hahn, who is here and almost always here unless she's out of town. Thank you for your faithfulness, Dr. Hahn. And two other dear sisters tonight who are here to just take your calls. If you'd like to get on the air, they'll screen your call and put you on with us. Or if you just want to call, if you have a question about the Bible, or if you want prayer, maybe you're going through, we're talking about marriage, Mm -hmm. and maybe your husband died, maybe your wife died, 
and maybe you're burdened and broken about that, and you just need comfort and and prayer and somebody to help bear your burden. That's why we're here Mm -hmm. on Sunday night live. Give us a call right now at 929-333-3739. And so now as we get into verses 4 through 6, Emmanuel, Paul is saying, that before we died with Christ, we were, in a sense, married to the law. So our death with Christ has set us free from the law to be married to another. So now, who are we married to in the application that Paul makes here, and what is the result of this marriage? Yeah, so as Micah said, we are now married to Christ. And and just to give a bit of background, this is the Christ who is fully God, who is fully man, who lived a sinless life on earth, he did not break a single law, Mm. not a single commandment, Mm -hmm. but he fulfilled the law Mm -hmm. and died and rose again. Now Jesus Christ is no longer bound by the law. Mm. In the same way, we have died with him. And as he rose up again, Mm -hmm. we are risen with him and we are in him. That is what baptism and, and the whole... When we get baptized, that is what it denotes. Mm-hmm. So we, the law does not apply to us, just right. as it does not apply to Christ. Mm-hmm. And in fact, we are under a bigger law, mm-hmm. a the even higher greater law, law yeah. higher law, like yeah. you said. So, um, yeah, so now we're delivered from the law and married to another. And how can we marry another if we have died? Because we are alive from the dead with Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and Paul just says it straight So I don't understand how a New Testament Christian can say we're under the Mosaic Law. Mm -hmm. And that includes the Sabbath worship. Mm -hmm. Now, there's a lot of Christians who get confused about this matter of what day we ought to worship. But I assure you, we are under no New Testament command to worship really on any day. Now, Christians worship on Sunday because that's the day of the resurrection, and that was clearly the day that the early church gathered for worship, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, and also Acts chapter 20, verse number 7. But Paul says it, but now we are delivered from the law. (laughs) And I remember when I first discovered this this truth, mm-hmm. that Jesus, when he died, mm-hmm. was not under any law, mm-hmm. because death sets a person free from laws. Yeah. And now, we are in Christ. So wait a minute, if, I'm in Christ, if he's free from the law, mm-hmm. and I'm in him, I'm also, and I know you said this, I'm just yeah. emphasizing, because it just it blew me away the first yeah. time that I saw this. Oh, yeah. Well, I, you know, the, as Emmanuel was just talking about the fact that we are married to Christ, you know, I think of the fact that Paul, you know, he didn't come up with this illustration out of nowhere. The idea of the church being married to Christ, it permeates the gospels, really. You know, Jesus's very first miracle of turning water into wine was done at a wedding. We know that culturally the bridegroom was responsible for the food and the wine at the ceremony. So essentially Jesus was implying that he is the true bridegroom. Additionally, Two of Jesus' parables in Matthew incorporate a marital scene, you know, the invitation of the wedding banquet, and then the wise and foolish virgins who are waiting for that bridegroom. And when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, he asks her about her five husbands, implying that only he can satisfy her needs. 
Then, of course, John the Baptist refers to Christ as the bridegroom. And finally, Jesus refers to himself as the bridegroom on at least two occasions. I'll read just one verse in Matthew 9.15. Jesus is responding to the question of why his disciples don't fast. Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then they shall fast. So Mm. this idea of Jesus as the bridegroom, it's literally all over the pages of the New Testament, and you can see it in the Old Testament as well. So when Paul says it, those people in that culture who had experienced the ministry of Jesus would have understood. Amen. And so, dear friends, we are married to another, not to the law anymore, even to him who is raised from the dead. Jesus lives, dear friends, and that's a song that I'm going to go to right now. He lives. And if you'd like to call us for prayer, this is a great time to give us a call at 929-333-3739. Get to us right now. you a 
Okay, dear friends, so what we want to do right now, we want to go to a couple of passages in Galatians. Then we're going to go to a phone call, and um, and there's two passages in Galatians that slam the lid on our being under the law. The first one is in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, and Paul has been discussing how the law did not take away or or keep the promises that God made to Abraham from being fulfilled, and that the law was actually only temporary until Christ came. And then he concludes that argument in verse 24 and 25. And Emmanuel, if you could please read that. Yeah. Uh, Galatians chapter 3, verse 24. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. And a schoolmaster isn't a teacher. A schoolmaster would be an adult who kind of guided the child around from place to place, to the school and to wherever, and basically saying that that once we came to Christ, we became adult sons, Mm -hmm. and we no longer needed the guide of the law, Mm -hmm. but we were set free from the schoolmaster. That's what he says there. The law was our schoolmaster, and we're no longer under a schoolmaster. Mm, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay? And the other one is in Galatians chapter 4, and this is after a really starting up in verse 22, where Paul is making an incredible analogy and and showing this as a, um, and what's the the specific word he uses? Allegory. The allegory. Yeah, there's an allegory Mm -hmm. between Hagar, Mm -hmm. who represents the Old Testament, and then Jerusalem, which represents the New Testament, and that we're the children of promise. And then at the end of this discussion, in verse 30 and 31, look what Paul says there. If mm. Micah, you could please read that. Yes, Galatians 4, verse 30. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. Okay, and so he had been talking about two sons, Uh Ishmael and And Isaac, Isaac. Uh and then two covenants, and one was the covenant on Mount Sinai, which was related to Hagar. Mm -hmm. So he's talking about Hagar and Ishmael, Mm -hmm. the son Ishmael, the covenant Hagar. Mm -hmm. And he says, cast out, when when Abraham was having those issues with Hagar and Ishmael, Mm -hmm. he said, cast out the bondwoman and Mm -hmm. her son. And Paul's using this as an allegory of the law. Cast out the law. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's as powerful, as definitive as you could say. Mm -hmm. Years ago, I did a study through Galatians, and you can take this chapter, chapter 4 specifically, and just like take a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, and then just write on the one hand, Sarah, Isaac, the Mount Moriah, Jerusalem, you know, right on the other hand, all, you know, Hagar, Ishmael, all as we're saying. And you could just really see the point that Paul is clarifying through this allegory of really convincing the Jewish believers that they were no longer under the law. But it's a really interesting study if anybody ever wants to do it. Galatians chapter four, because it just clarifies it. By the end of it, you just kind of like sigh relief. I understand. And you know, and I'm not picking on Seventh-day Adventists, but I've had relationships with Seventh-day Adventists over the years, and I've also studied Seventh-day Adventism. And really the reason 
they're so attached to the law isn't the scripture but it's the the visions of Ellen G. White that she had of the law with a halo around the fourth commandment of the Sabbath. And so, dear friends, if you put yourself, though, under that Sabbath command of the law, you have to put yourself under all of the law. Mm -hmm. And Galatians also says that cursed is everyone that continues not in all things that are written in the book of the law to do them, because Mm -hmm. you cannot divide the law from one part to the next. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go to uh, Brother Justin. Thank you for calling, Justin, and you're on the Heritage of Faith Conversation Program. Hey, Pastor Record, good to hear you. Thank you very much for picking up the call. Hey, thank you for calling. Yeah, so uh, I was just curious if I if I could ask ask a question about um, the spirit and the um, of the of the of the law and the the letter. The spirit of the law versus the letter of the law. Yeah, so it's, yeah, in Second Corinthians chapter three verse six, uh, it talks about uh, the 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 letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. I'm 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 uh, paraphrasing, and I was just curious how. Um, uh, how that connects to someone who's a believer who um, who is under grace, but uh, but then what does the law represent to a, a believer uh, from the before and after, and how can that help? Uh, how can how can we use that to to uh, move forward as a believer? Yeah, well, I believe Paul is making a similar argument here, Justin, when he says he says who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament not of the letter, but of the Spirit. So the letter would refer to the Mosaic Law, Mm -hmm. just of doing things and of keeping certain days and feasts and times and years, as he says even in the book of Galatians and Colossians. He says the letter, and the, the letter killeth, because nobody can keep that law perfectly, but the Spirit and so the spirit there, I believe, is the spirit of the, the 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 Holy Spirit, and the same law that he's referencing in Romans chapter eight, and verse number two, where he says, "The law of the spirit of life has made me free from the law of sin and death." So the the, the letter of the law would be the Mosaic law, the spirit would be the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I think that's what he's getting at. Mm -hmm. And I would just add to that, um, you know, when Christ rebuked the Pharisees, you know, you think about the, the central problem of the Pharisees and the scribes. It was this legalism, and he rebuked them in Matthew twenty three twenty three, and it, it, you know, bears repeating. I'll read this verse. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, faith. These ought ye have to done and not leave the other undone. But it's, you know, another way you could maybe say this, Pastor, you correct me if I'm wrong here, is the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith, yeah. that's actually the spirit of the law. So, so that gives life, but these things, you know, following every rule and regulation and tradition and legalism, it caused them to so focus, lose their focus on what was truly important because they were trying so hard to follow these rules and regulations, and so they literally missed the spirit of the law. Yeah. That's true, and as you go down reading in this passage of Scripture, Paul 
refers to the veil that Moses put on his face when he came down from Mount Sinai. Mm-hmm. And he says that the, the Jewish people to this day, their minds are blinded, and the same veil is untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. And so that's as well that, that, the, that Christ, in a sense, takes away the veil so that we can serve, and he uses this expression in Romans 7, in the newness of spirit and not mm. in just the, the oldness of, of the letter. Mm. Not that's just doing the outward things, but doing, the, doing from the heart and obeying God, not in the oldness of the letter. And that gets to this point. That's in Romans chapter 7, 7. That's a good question, Justin, where you talk, when, with, that you bring out. The letter of the law versus the spirit that we serve in newness of spirit, not in the oldness of the letter, Romans chapter 7 and verse number 6. All right, Justin, thank you so much for your question. We'll see you in church next week. Thanks for calling. Amen. Yeah, so as we get to the last section here in Romans chapter 7, Paul then talks that we've been delivered from the law. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean... The law doesn't have a function. The law is still alive. Remember his illustration. The law didn't die. Mm -hmm. We died died. to the law. (laughs) So the law is the living word of God that is holy, just, and good. So what is the purpose of the law for us today? That's really what Paul, I believe, is driving at in verses 7 down through verse 13. So, Emmanuel, what's the function of the law that Paul speaks of according to, well, in Romans chapter 7 and verse 7? Yes, Pastor. So, in Romans 7, 7, one of the first uh, functions of the law would be to expose sin. And, Micah, if I could just put you on the spot and ask Mm. you a question. Sure. Imagine that uh, you're uh, out in the dark at night, and Uh it's so dark, it's pitch black, you can't see anything. Yeah. Would you be comfortable running or walking in any direction? <laughs> if I can't see anything, definitely not. No, I would not be comfortable. Yes, you need a light, right? Yeah. You, you need some street lights. Like, mm-hmm. like you mentioned earlier uh, about the law, it says in Psalms that the law is a lamp to my feet. Mm-hmm. So if we don't have the law, yeah. we're out there in darkness. Mm-hmm. We don't know what's happening to us, what's around us. Mm-hmm. In the same way, the law exposes what is around us and what we are under. Yeah. It exposes our mm-hmm. sin and it exposes God's holiness mm-hmm. and the wrath he has because of our sin. Mm-hmm. So one of the primary functions is it exposes it. Mm-hmm. And um, as Paul discussed, uh, he says that I had not known sin, but by the law. As Paul discussed, we're dead to the law and delivered from it. He now gives us an example from one of the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. This shows that we are delivered from the law, mm-hmm. all of it. Mm-hmm. Even the Ten Commandments, being in Christ, delivers us from every aspect of the Mosaic Law, the moral, civil, ceremonial laws, because we are under a higher law, the spirit of the life of Christ Jesus. Amen. Yeah, and you mm-hmm. know, I, I could be wrong, but I think most Christ, many Christians would be very surprised by that statement. When we say we're not under the Ten Commandments, they're like, what? Mm. Even Christian, many people who say they're Christian think that the Ten Commandments are the things we're supposed to do in order to get into heaven. Well, dear friends, the Ten Commandments, by you trying to keep them, 
will never get you into heaven because guess what? Hmm. You can't keep them. Yeah. And, but Jesus did. And that's the good news, that Jesus kept the Ten Commandments and the whole of the Mosaic Law, and then he died in absolute obedience to the law. And then we're in him. Mm-hmm. So when we're in Christ, God looks at us as if we have kept the law. Yeah. So yeah. it's through Christ that God looks upon us as holy and righteous, and we have his holiness and righteousness imputed to us. So, And you bring out a very important point here, is... Emmanuel, is that the law does expose our sin. Mm -hmm. And we can use the law clearly when we witness for the Lord. Because the law essentially does reveal, as I said earlier, the unchanging moral character of God. And so when we confront people with God's moral standards... We all men, honestly, if they're honest with themselves, have to admit I've fallen short, yes. and that's what Jesus did with the rich young ruler, mm-hmm. right? When when Jesus witnessed to him, and the rich young ruler said, "What sh- what good thing shall I do to inherit eternal life?" This guy sounded like he was walking down Broadway in New York City. What good thing <laughs> shall I do? I want. I think I'm good, a good person. And Jesus says, "said Okay, then you have to keep the law." Enter, if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Mm-hmm. Well, which ones? And so Jesus listed yeah. the first table, the sec, I'm sorry, the second table of the law of man loving his neighbor as himself. Mm-hmm. And the man was so self-righteous, he says, oh, I've kept all those things yeah. from my youth up. So he was still blinded by mm-hmm. his own yeah. self-righteousness. Yeah, until Jesus exposed where his heart really was. You know, he yeah. said, sell everything you have and expose, which, yeah. is, which was right. the original intent of the Old Testament law was to expose. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And, that, and, and that's why what Jesus told him isn't a command for everyone. Jesus is saying, right. oh, you think you've loved your neighbor so perfectly? Yeah. Then mm-hmm. sell everything you had. <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Well, that's because you're a sinner, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But so, dear friends, the New Testament does not make void the law, it actually establishes the true purpose of the law. That's what it says in Romans chapter 3, verse 31, which is to expose sin and also to aggravate sin. So in verses 8 through 10 of Romans, Mm -hmm. and let me just review those verses in Romans chapter 7 and verse 8, where he says, sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. It's just like the sign that says, wet paint, do not touch. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what I want to do when I see that sign? I want to touch the wet paint and see for myself. And so so the, the law, in a sense, aggravates sin, and it stirs us up to sin. And the commandment, which was ordained to life, and that's what Jesus told the rich young ruler. If you want to have life, keep the commandments and you'll live. So the commandments were ordained to life, but they result in our death because we've all come short of the glory of God. Mm -hmm. You know, and as Paul points this out, we can see that human nature hasn't changed since the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam and Eve did the one thing that God told them not to do. And sure, they had the temptation of the serpent, or Eve did, but it was a rebellion and pride within them toward God that ultimately brought on their fall. And I have to laugh a little bit when I think about how we can see this, especially with little kids. You know, you can have a child, and there's a room full of toys, 
But when you point out that one toy that they're not yeah. supposed to touch, maybe, you know, it's their sibling's toy or something, well, that stirs up this rebel inside them. And they, you know, that's the one toy that they're going to try their hardest to get their hands on. No. So human nature from the beginning And even better yet with spirit. little kids, yeah. the only toy they want is the toy that the other kid is playing with. <laughs> they could have a whole room of toys, but they yeah. want the other toy that one kid is playing with. Yeah. And then, then that's how the fight starts. The rebel inside, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dear friends, all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The law exposes our sin. We are sinners. We've come short of the glory of God. The law aggravates our sin. And so this is why we need Jesus. So as we come to the close of our program tonight, if you need Jesus Christ, give us a call right now. Somebody would take your call and pray with you. And that you could turn your heart to the Lord and you could be born again. Whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call us right now at 929-333-3739. So, Micah, as we come down to the end of this passage we're talking about tonight in mm-hmm. Romans chapter 7, 11 through 13, what is the function then of the law according to verses 11 through 13? Mm-hmm. Well, there's a phrase that's repeated in the Bible. It speaks of groping in the darkness. We find it in Mm. Deuteronomy, Job, Isaiah, and the book of Acts. And that is how I imagine the Gentile nations who God didn't give his law to. That's how they were behaving. They were like blind men, nervously feeling their way forward in the pitch black darkness. Emmanuel, you sort of mentioned this earlier, the darkness. And I think of, you know, the darkness of Egypt during the plagues where the darkness could be felt. You know, they're groping around. They couldn't see anything. And yes, these nations were living in sin, but God's light had not revealed his boundaries to them. You know, God had not really shown them specifically how he would have them live their lives. Yet God did reveal his boundaries and directives to Israel. And through the giving of his commandments and the light of God's law, it revealed the monster that sin truly is. Verse 11 says, For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. It's like the monster has been revealed in the light, and now we can see how it's deceiving and destroying. So to clarify, Paul repeats, it's not God's law that brings death, but it reveals the death that sin has already brought. Ultimately, the law exposes the need for a salvation from death. Praise the Lord. That's right, dear friends. The law magnifies our sin. It exposes our sin. It aggravates our sin. You mentioned that great passage in Isaiah chapter 59, Micah. We grope for the wall like the blind. Later on in that passage, it says he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Mm -hmm. But the good news, friends, there is a man. Mm -hmm. There is an intercessor. His name is Jesus Christ, who put on perfect righteousness and went to the cross to save you from your sins. And he's alive. He lives. Call upon him, and he will save you and give you eternal life and deliver you from the law of sin and death and put you under a higher law of the Spirit. Good night. Good night, everybody. Good night. Thank you for tuning in to the Heritage of Faith Conversations radio program. To find out more about Heritage Baptist Church and our service times and locations, visit our website at hbcnyc.org. We stream multiple services online each week, including 11 a.m. Sunday mornings and 7.15 p.m. Wednesday nights. All are welcome, and you can find links to participate in our services on our website hbcnyc.org and join us again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for another